So listen, if you're taking notes, uh, write, write some stuff down. This will be good. And then we're going to pray at the end. And we're just going to believe the Holy Spirit to speak to us and fill us again. Amen. This is so raw. Let me just tell you, I spoke, uh, this is my third message in three days. And so um, this is like, not, I usually have this in my computer and internalized and stuff. But uh, this, is a little, this is a little something I've been working on in my devotion. So this is literally right out of my devotion. But I've been thinking about impossible situations. Um, I just got a text. I was just telling Gretchen, I, and my son and I have a, he's like a son, a spiritual son to me, and um, a very close friend of my son's uh, who just texted us just a few minutes ago before service saying that, you know, his wife has filed for divorce, and he's a very young man. I don't even think he turned 23 yet, or he's just about to turn 23, so he's very young. I performed his wedding, and it's just, it's just really, really sad. And I, was, and I was thinking about the circumstances, and it's just like, the... <laughs> On paper, it's just impossible to fix. Anybody ever face impossible situations before where you just, you look at them and you just think, you know, this is just going to, this is going to take beyond just some natural solution. And, and I'm not talking about a test you didn't study for, you know what I'm saying, you know, in college or something like that. I'm talking about impossible circumstances or an impossible situation. And so I, I want to talk to you about what do you do in an impossible situation? How do you, how do you overcome impossible situations? Anybody interested in that? Yeah. Yeah? Nobody else? Okay, so me and John, praise the Lord. All right, so um, one guy said to me, it was impossible. I, get, I was in an impossible situation. My wife asked us our anniversary, and I forgot, and uh, I needed divine recall, so she was in trouble. He was in big trouble for that. But I'm not talking about something you forgot. I'm talking about something that literally is going to take a miracle. It's, the opposition that you are facing is beyond the natural, and, and uh I want to give you three points, okay? So here they are, three simple points. We're going to look at the life of Stephen, uh, roughly Acts chapter 6 and some of 7, to talk about the life of Stephen. But the first point is look up. You can just write that down, look up. And let me give you a little context for for Stephen. Some of you may not know who he is, but um, he was uh, a powerful man of God, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's actually selected... Uh, to, to, to be used by God, by the apostles. In fact, in Acts 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it says that they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and they laid hands on them. There's something, by the way, powerful. That's why we believe in the laying on of hands. But there's something, there's anointing that can be transferred. There's appointment that can happen. There's pr- prayer and healing for the sick that can happen, laying on of hands. But uh, Stephen was, uh, was they la- the apostles laid hands on him and it says the word of God spread uh, as a result of this. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then later, basically, Stephen, he gets seized. And this is uh, verse 8 of chapter 6. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So he was used powerfully. As a result, there was kind of an uprising or resistance to him, and people started getting upset about this dude. And there was this uh, group, the synagogue of freedmen. Uh, uh, I forget what they, there's another word for that, like... Libertans or something like that. I can't remember. It says in the King James, but there were these. There was this group of people that were in opposition to Peter, and they couldn't find. They could, they tried to argue with him and debate with him on things, but he was so full of the Holy Spirit. He was so 
uh, eloquent, articulate, well-versed in in the scriptures. They they just couldn't stand up to his wisdom, and ultimately, they couldn't discredit him. And so they were losing influence as a result of that, and so they secretly persuaded people uh, to speak lies and and, 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 uh, false uh, teachings, false truths, excuse me, about Stephen. They were saying that he was blaspheming God and that he was speaking against the the word of God and the law of Moses, and, and they were just bearing false witness about him and as a result he was seized and he was going to be uh, punished for that and then in the last part of chapter 6 it says it says all they were all in this room and they were watching kind of this this it's kind of like a courtroom and it basically says all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin these religious leaders looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Wouldn't it be nice to know that when you're under pressure and that you're dealing with an impossible situation, that your face would be like the face of an angel? How many times when we're in impossible situations, is that the reflection? Are we reflecting the glory of God? Are we reflecting the glory of man? Are we reflect, are, what, what are we reflecting in situations? How many know that that probably had to be cultivated over time for that to happen? That's not something that you just kind of like, hope for, wish for, wish upon a star that under those kind of circumstances and pressure you would reflect, you would have the face of an angel. When you think about Paul and Silas, you know, I think it's Acts 19, but Paul and Silas were, you know, they were in prison and they were shackled together and they were in this horrible Roman prison, you know, and, 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 and they began to sing and worship God in the middle of that circumstance. You, you know, people don't praise and worship God when it's, when it's a smelly dungeon. You, we like, we, look at us, we've got, cushion, we got air conditioning, cushion chairs, you know what I mean? Uh, the climate and the, and the environment is perfect. But what if we were out like, you know, I know when we go to the Dominican, you know, when it's blazing hot in the middle, we were in the Dominican last summer at this particular time and it's blazing hot and sweaty and you got, you know, you know when you're in nice clothes and you don't want to sweat, you know, it's that kind of thing. But, but you know, that, there, there's where it's truly a sacrifice of praise. You know what I'm saying? And it tests your character and it tests the devotion you have with God. But I think it's cool that uh, Stephen, this was his... This was his response. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, it compensates for for the flesh, doesn't it? Then in uh, chapter 7, it says, the high priest asked him, hey, listen, all these things that these people are saying about you, are they true? And to this, uh, basically, he gives his defense, and he begins to preach, and and the dude just goes off. He preaches under the unction of the Holy Spirit for a long time, and he just rat-a-tat-tat goes through the whole Bible from Genesis all the way to the current time. And then at the end, uh, in chapter uh, 7, verse 51, he's talking to the Sanhedrin. Look at what he says. He's very bold. He didn't read Dale, he didn't, uh, read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, right here. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Praise the Lord. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And at the end of this service, I want to ask you to not resist the Holy Spirit, but to receive the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, refreshed by the Holy Spirit. Then he says, was there ever a prophet your fathers, because I went through this whole thing with you, did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted uh, the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law... Uh, that was put in effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Oh, look at this. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Ah, You know, they were mad, mad as hornets. But Stephen, again, 
under this duress and under this stress and under these circumstances, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, full of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of an undercurrent for this whole message. It says, he looked up. That's the first point of, of this, this message, look up. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't sitting. He was standing. Jesus got up for what he saw Stephen doing. Whoo, I don't know if you get that. That like sounds like a chill down my spine. Jesus got up. He's standing at the right hand of God and he said, look, Stephen speaking out loud when they seized him. And it says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, when you're, you can write this down, but when you're in a tough situation, you don't focus on the circumstances. Don't focus on the rocks that are getting ready to be thrown. Focus on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We sometimes are focusing on the wrong thing. Uh, example, you know, might be, um, if you think about it, you know, I, I don't know... If you were a, a person who had been a good saver, you were a good steward of your resources, you saved up a, a lot of money, you put it aside, you have this nest egg. Uh, you had this investment, let's just say. You have this investment. And I was your broker, and I came to you, and I told you, uh, <clears throat> kind of cleared my throat, um, we lost everything. Excuse me, come again, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, I know I'm your broker, I know my job is to actually help you make money, but I want you to know I actually lost money. I actually lost all of it. You know, I actually lost all of it. Now, if I told you something like that, and then and just a few minutes later after I let it sink in, and you're just in sorrow, and you're just in defeat, and you're just so discouraged, and you're so angry, and you maybe want to gnash your teeth at me, but then I said, no, no hang on, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, that's not true. How would you feel? Well, first off, after you want to kill me, you would feel what? Relieved, wouldn't you? You'd feel relieved. But the reality, in reality, nothing changed because it, was, it wasn't truth. It was, it was falsehood. There was no, it was just, it wasn't, it, it wasn't true. The reality is you might have felt different, but nothing literally changed. You, you see, they, they, they saw uh, excuse me, Stephen saw things differently in his difficult circumstances. There's, there's this um, response. Sometimes you might have, I'm trying to think of another example, but if I told you, if you were a parent, and I said, uh, you know, I came to you and I said, uh, I just found out bad news, uh, your child, your teenager is pregnant. And then after that I told you, uh, you know, I know I told you that, but it was misinformation, it's not true, whew, you'd be relieved. But nothing changed because the person was never pregnant in the first place. The circumstances were the same all along. The information and how it affected us was throwing us for a loop, okay? And that's what happens a lot of times. And so what I'm trying to say is don't focus on the wrong thing. Jesus, in the middle of uh, Stephen's trial, he was standing up. And he was basically saying, look at me. I'm right here. I want you to focus on me. And Stephen was saying, I see you. I see you. I see Jesus in this situation. And I believe in circumstances, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, there is a special work of grace on those people in their crisis. Uh, Billy Hornsby, a mentor in, in, in my life, he went on to uh, be with the Lord uh, just a few years ago. 
And um, as he was approaching his own death, and he knew that his days were numbered, more so than we know because of the uh, diagnosis that was upon him, uh, the sickness that was in his life, but he began to get closer and closer and closer uh, as he approached eternity. He got closer and closer and closer to revelations about his eternal God. And I can remember him sharing um, in a message that was called Struggle Well. In this particular message, he was sharing that though the circumstances are very, very difficult around me, uh, he basically said, listen, brothers and, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no fear in death. I want you to know there's no fear in death. And he would say things like, I want you to know the whole thing, Jesus, heaven, it's all real. It's all true. He had this kind of light in his eye. He was different because he had such an eternal perspective as opposed to an earthly perspective. He was living kind of on a plane that the rest of us, at an elevation that the rest of us weren't living on because he was very aware of the bigger picture. He was looking up. He was looking up through his difficult situation. And Stephen saw Jesus, and it put everything in perspective. Just like I can change the story, and suddenly it puts everything in perspective. Peter, uh, Stephen saw Jesus, and it put things in perspective for him. Are you guys tracking with me? Am I doing okay on this? So uh, this is another scripture. It's Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, what? The author and the finisher of our faith. Colossians 3.1 says, set your affections, your mind, on things, what? Above, not on earthly things. So the Bible is constantly trying to get us to look up. And in the story with Stephen, God is trying to help us to see Jesus in the middle of our difficult circumstances because in the book of Acts, the disciples were talking about this as well. After Jesus' um, resurrection and then ascension, when they were beginning to go forward and face opposition in difficult situations, they said, we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. So they referenced seeing Jesus. I remember the old song, um, I see Jesus, I tell you he's alive. And I used to get overwhelmed by this song because there was this, there was this connection with the lyrics, but also the revelation that he's real and that I need to fix and I need to focus on who Jesus is. Can I have an Amen. I mean, it makes a big difference when we are in Christ, when we see Jesus. I wrote this down. But what looks like the end is only the beginning of something new when you look up. What looks like the end is only the beginning of something new when you look up. Okay, here's my next point. Number two, look ahead. So everybody say, look up. Okay. Number two, look ahead. Look ahead. Now, um, this is from Acts 7.56, the same chapter, continuing on. I should have had my glasses, but it says this. It says, verse 50, look, he said, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, we know that it, it, it's, it's, um, it's common for us um, to hear people say, you know, if you're on a high precipice, you're on a... Uh, you're, on, you're high in a tree, you're on a building or scaffolding, you're on, uh, I don't know, just the rooftop or something like that, and you feel scared. What does everybody tell you not to do? They say, don't look down. Don't look down. Um, when Peter was on the boat, uh, felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to get out of the boat, what happened with Peter ultimately, instead of looking ahead, looking to Jesus, 
the author and finisher of his faith, he began to look down. He began to look down and look around. He looked at the wind, he looked at the waves, and he began to, as a result of looking down, he began to go down, sink. And so there's a tendency for us to forget that when we're facing impossible situations, yes, we have to look up, but we also have to look ahead. Don't look around, look ahead. Because when we fall, when we fail, Sometimes when we bail on what God wants us to do, we don't look ahead. Instead, we look down. And when you're, when, you're, when you're going through tough times, sometimes we're looking at what everybody else is doing. And that gets us down. I was talking to a friend. He's going through a difficult trial. And he's been going through it for quite a long time. He's a very close friend of mine. And I shared a scripture with him at the gym recently. Um, this, is, this is Psalm 73, okay, if you're interested in this. Everybody getting something out of this? Okay, five of you, that's awesome. Uh, Psalm 73, it, this is what it says. This is David. What I love about David and the stories of David, the Psalms of David, is you can see his laments, you can see his difficult days, you can see his you know, ups and downs and turnarounds and, and all that kind of stuff, but it's just really real. But he's complaining about everybody else. He's comparing. Where we get in trouble sometimes is we compare ourselves to other people instead of, instead of contrast ourselves with God. God's not trying to say, I'm better. He's trying to say, come on up, come on up with me. And anyway, David's complaining. He says, surely God is good uh, to Israel and, and to those who are pure in heart. But for me, he's saying everybody else is good. But for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens of common man. They're not plagued by human life. He's just saying everybody else is just getting, just, life is good for them. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From the calloused hearts comes iniquities, constant sin. The evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They just do whatever feels right. Thinks, they, they, whatever they think up to do, they just do it. No restraints. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, the people turn to them. Everybody's influenced by them. Everybody's following them. And drink up their waters in abundance. And they say, how can... How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? No, we got that. This is what the wicked are like, God. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. David's really complaining here. And then surely in vain, he says, so they do all this, and then this, this is how I feel. Surely in vain, I kept my heart pure. But while they're doing all that, I kept my heart pure. In vain, I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. It's, I'm going through a hard time right now, and I'm doing right. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was too oppressive to me, and here's the key thing, and bang, all of a sudden, it's a contrast because he becomes filled with the Holy Spirit, because he connects with the Holy God, because he gets in the presence of God, and it says in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. See, we need to look ahead. We need to look up, and we need to look ahead. David you know, needed to get an eternal perspective. He needed to get a presence of God perspective on his circumstances in order to overcome all the impossible situations that he was facing. Under, none of us are kings in this room. None of us have known the kind of pressure of what's upon a king. And he was facing all those pressures. And he realized, I'm not going to be able to handle all those pressures unless I get into the sanctuary of God and talk to a holy God and he helped me out. Now, I don't know about you, but some of us are going to need some help once in a while from a holy God. I know I do. I think you do too. Amen. But it's tough to handle things when others are getting blessed and you're not. And that's why we need to get into the sanctuary. That's why we need to get into the presence of God. And God will use it all for his glory. 
Uh, just put this in your notes. I call it the principle of the path. I've taught on this many times, many different applications to this particular point. But a lot, principle of the path. In other words, this is the principle. We need to look where every road leads. We need to look ahead, in essence, we need to look down the road. Most people are living their life and they're, only, they're looking down at what's in front of them. And what's in front of us is immediate. What's in front of us is convenient. What's in front of us is comfortable. We need to look ahead so that we make the right choices and so we see, in other words, it puts light on our path when we look ahead. Every path, I've said this before, has a predetermined destination to it. But when you're just looking for your next step, and if it feels good, and if it works for you right now, you're not looking, that, that, you might need a course correction. You might need to go right instead of going left. The Bible tells us in different ways, you know, don't swerve to the right, don't swerve to the left. Make level paths for your feet, it tells us. So we got to consider our path and where the road leads. And for Peter, it led to Jesus. And that was enough as long as he looked ahead. But as soon as he looked down, Peter got in trouble. And so do we. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 through 18, it says, Paul speaking, someone who faced impossible situations all the time, if you follow his life and testimony, this was his response uh, as a man full of the Holy Spirit in difficult times. I don't think anybody in this room has faced what Paul has faced. Not even close. Can I have an amen or an omi out there? Yeah. So he said this in verse 17, 18, some, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. And then I think he goes on, we set our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen, what is eternal, is eternal. So Paul's response to all these difficulties, I think, was based on these principles. Look up, look ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay in that eternal perspective. Consider where the path and where the road leads. A lot of times we're not doing that. We're just living our life. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Hoping it works out for you. Hoping it works out for me. Maybe this is going to be a good day. Maybe this is not going to be a, a good day. It's circumstantially driven. We're tossed to and fro by whatever is going on in our life. However, if we're having a bad hair day or a good hair day, I always have a good hair day. You just shave it off. That's what you do. Okay, so here's my third point, last point. We're really, we're, we're really going through this message quick today. Third point is look back, look back. Look up, look ahead, look back. Easy one to remember, isn't it? So what do you do in a possible situation? You look up, you look ahead, and you look back. To overcome an impossible situation, you have to look back and see if there's any unfinished business. You have to see... If there's some unresolved issues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Unresolved issues. In other words, and for the sake of focus tonight, is there anyone I need to get right with or to forgive? Is there anybody that I need to say, help me forgive that person for throwing rocks at me? See, Stephen had rocks being thrown at him, and he was, in his case, he was being falsely accused. How many know sometimes we have rocks thrown at us, but we deserve a few of those rocks? Maybe not all of them. Maybe it's not completely fair and square, but, a lot of, but that wasn't the case for Stephen. It certainly wasn't the case uh, for Jesus. And so help me forgive the people that threw a rock. To be able to deal with impossible situations, you don't just look up, you don't just look ahead, but you also have to look back and say, is there anything, are there any rocks in my backpack 
that I'm actually carrying around with me that are weighing me down. It's not just the rocks that are hitting me from every place else. Sometimes it's the rocks that, I, that I'm carrying with me. In Acts 7, this is the third part, key text here, verse 59. This is the same story, okay? I'll, just, I'll back up a little bit, and then I'll go to that. It says, um, so, so Stephen is talking to God. They're getting so mad at him. He's saying, look, I see heaven open. The Son of Man standing. Jesus stands up. At this, they covered their ears. This is what the people's response were. Everybody do that? Anybody ever do that before when you hear something you don't want to hear? So that's, so that's what they're doing. They're like, I'm not listening to you, Stephen. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I see Jesus. I see the Son of Man. I see the glory of God. Blah, 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 blah. That's how... That's how contrast this environment was, right? Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. By the way, the death of one prophet is sometimes the seed for the, for the birth of a new prophet. Pretty interesting, because Saul, we know later, Saul of Tarsus became the apostle Paul, right? Interesting. I bet there was something, something impactful about what happened there. Uh, but verse 59, this is the look back point. While they were stoning him, imagine this. I think of your worst day, your worst circumstance. Have you ever been in a situation you're like, whether you're, you're, you're accurate, whether your perspective is accurate, but you just like, I am just taking it right now for the team. You ever been in that? You know, like, I am just, they don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, you're, you're going the high road. Now, many times we don't go the high road, but when you do go the high road, you probably are aware you're going the high road because it's so unusual for you to go the high road. And so you're going the high road, and you're just being stoned. As, I'm not talking like that kind of stone, okay? So let's just get that out of the way, all right? I mean, at least he had some relief. Uh, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, I'm saying stoned, you know, false accusations, insults, false truths, twists and turns of what really happened. It's usually like, it's usually not sticks and stones, it's usually words. It's not rocks, it's usually words, right? So say you're in those kind of a situations, right? Um, this, is what, this is what's happening to him, and I think this applies to us. While they're stoning him, physically and, of course, verbally, Stephen, in the middle of that, prayed this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. This is incredible. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had laid, when he had said this, excuse me, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. They're throwing rocks at Stephen and he looks back and he says, don't hold this against them. Oh my gosh. When you're dealing with an impossible situation, in order to move forward, sometimes you have to look back and you sometimes have to release the people that you're holding. We, we know God, I think as Christians, will avenge injustice, but sometimes we have a hard time trusting in the just God to deal with the situation. We like to be the judge and jury in the process. In Romans chapter 12, I'll just look at this real quickly, <clears throat> and the worship team can come up now. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. It says, no, excuse me, 19, my bad. Uh, it says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And I know people in this room, I know some situations, several in this room right now that are popping me right now where there's been some difficult circumstances. I was in the front lines with them in a couple of the situations and everything in them wanted to take vengeance themselves. 
And I can remember basically sharing this, like, listen, don't get in the way of what God can do. It's going to ruin you. It will destroy you if you try to carry this out yourself. If you, if you, hold, if you hold this unforgiveness, there'll be rocks that weigh you down for the rest of your life. And basically, it says this, that it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, you know, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Don't overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Stephen does this. The question is, while he's being stoned, while he's, he's been falsely accused, while they brought all manner of evil against him and he didn't deserve it, he's dealing with an impossible situation. And this is his response. And the question is, how? How did he do that? How on earth could somebody do that? And my answer is because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Can I have a smile or at least an amen from somebody out there? It's like, wait, that's it? No, that's all you need. So if you're not getting that, then you're, 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 you're not seeing the big picture. The only way somebody could do something like that under that kind of duress and those kind of situations is if you're full of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet. In fact, put your Bibles away, tuck your notes away, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to worship here for a little bit, and then we're going to pray. <clears throat> That's God, what we're here to do. We're just going to wait on the presence of God, Lord. We just ask that you would be here with us tonight. We don't want to do church without you. We don't want to have any kind of a meeting without meeting God. We don't want to have any kind of interactions with people without interactions with the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you feel welcomed in this place, that there's something that we're doing, Lord, that is invitational, that prompts, Lord, that gets your attention, that gets you to stand up from your throne and look down on this church. See what's happening here and want to be near with us. Lord, we thank you that you draw near to those who draw near to you. And Lord, we just do that right now in our spirit. We draw near to God. I just want to challenge you right where you are, not to look at me, not to look at the band, but to look to heaven. Come on, just look to heaven and just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. To just begin to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord, make melodies in your heart. Allow the spirit of God to just bubble up within you tonight and just refresh you, refresh you, and just rivers of living water, Lord, pour into each one of these people who are here tonight. Breathe your fresh air into their spirits, God, so they can give away what you've given them, Lord. We don't want to live on this morning's manna, Lord. We want a fresh bread, a fresh word. We want a fresh touch from God. Come on, church, you in agreement with me? Lord, we want more of you in Jesus' name, and we just are so grateful to be with you with the people of God. We ask, Lord, for the spirit of unity to come upon this house, Lord. We make every effort to, to just be in the spirit, Lord, to have the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this time of interaction, Lord Jesus, with you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap?